Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's that time of month again. It's original versus remake. And we've got, over two months in a row, another original versus remake threesome. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> a threesome's probably about the only thing one of these films doesn't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's exaggerating a bit. I mean, we haven't got, like, orgies and everything in it. But, I mean, <laughs> far off. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm over-hyping it. It's not that exciting, guys. No, it's not, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going by, you know, the reputation it has by other people. So, of course, uh, it's also Summer Screams Month, and we're still going. It's been my favourite theme month for the podcast so far. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Some uh, interesting films. Yeah, but all the bad ones have all been fun. Yes. At least. Yeah, absolutely. And today we are talking about all three versions of Piranha. Yes. So the first Piranha, 78. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Dante, um, Jaws Ripoff. Then a film I didn't know existed... 1995's made for TV special, Piranha. <laughs> Seems or Piranhas. 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 Piranha is plural or what? Because I am not sure. Oh. Because that title threw me off. I thought yeah. it was originally. Um, but then when I was looking through some of the Wikipedia articles and IMDb and such, it says Piranha, but then some others say Piranhas. Yeah. So if we refer to them uh, as Piranhas. We're not dumbasses, we're going by what's out there. It seems to be both. <laughs> we're not dumbasses, we're learning from the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the dumbest way to do anything. Um, and then we have the 2010 uh, Piranha 3D. Yeah. Um, Softcore yeah, porn remake. <laughs> but I had absolutely no idea that the 1995 version existed. No. Uh, looking at the poll results... Uh, a lot of people either didn't know it existed either, or yeah. they just didn't like it. Well, nine percent. It is last. Both. Both work. Nine percent. Nineteen ninety-five. Forty. Well, at first, I mean, obviously the original won that round, but for the final round, because Instagram doesn't let you do more than two films at one time, the winner is Piranha Three D with fifty-three percent, forty-seven percent, nineteen seventy-eight. Close call. Close call. I about right. Depends what you like. Yeah. I'm not as triggered by this as I usually am with the polls, because I, you know, it's not that hard to believe. No. It's it. Yeah, it's very much a taste thing with these films. Uh, Yeah. You. It's very specific. Yeah. Um. Before we get into it, we have our monthly socials catch up, and it's busy earning usual this month. Uh, Rick on Facebook. Uh, said we could do a whole year of podcast films uh, dedicated to Bruno Matai's disc- uh, discography, filmography. He's, n- he's not a musician. No, no. Director of Cruel Jaws, Bruno Matai. Barely a director. Uh, and he, he told us that Vincent Dawn is his most used fake name and uh, he recommended Robo War and Terminator 2 Shock and Dark. Which both look amazing. Yeah, Rick's always there on Facebook with the trivia and he d- does it better than me sometimes. Um, Tom Collins on Twitter uh, said Piranha original and 3D are the best the TV movie was so boring 
It was. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Was it, though? Were you not entertained throughout? No. No, I wasn't. I, I, was. I, I wasn't as entertained. I found the... Oh, well. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. Riot said the movies on Instagram compared the flagging and gasoline scene from Cruel Jaws to Final Destination, but with a shark. Well, yeah. Yeah. Bath Jackson on Instagram said Cruel Jaws is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And uh, Look Good for the Boys on Instagram said the flagging gasoline scene in Cruel Jaws is the moment they fell in love with the movie. Uh, I hope you still have a podcast on Instagram. Loves Cruel Jaws as well. And they said it's so weird and full of that perfect Italian unofficial sequel nonsense. Uh, they also said, <laughs> in refer- referring to House of the Dead, that when we announced it as an awful video game adaptation, we spelt perfect wrong. And they said it's a film that they would, uh, that's extremely stupid, and they would die on a hill saying that it was a very fun watch. The perfect, so bad it's good movie. Yeah, it's up there with the So Bad It's Good. Yeah. Xander had no idea, previous podcast guest Xander uh, had no idea Cruel Jaws existed. So being the good Samaritans that we are, pointed him in the right direction. Welcome. Yeah. I think you're welcome. Of course. Uh, This is Trash Podcast on Instagram said House of the Dead is what would happen if a generic zombie movie in The Matrix had an unwanted pregnancy. That's the most accurate description of House of the Dead ever. Very true. And finally, Mabel's Chainsaw Repair on Instagram <laughs> said, Who can ever forget Brandy? And I still know what he did last summer where she has to walk across a glass conservatory in the rain to get away from the killer. Yes. Yeah. Um, she was my favourite part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, keep them coming. We are Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrible Trash on Twitter. Talk to us about anything you like. Talk to us about Saucy Piranha 3D and all that I've hyped it up to be. And if you're disappointed by my hyping up, I'm going to shut up now. Piranha, 1978. to it, thanks. <laughs> Piranha, 1978. Directed by Joe Dante, the master behind Matinee, Gremlins, The Howling, Small Soldiers, The Burbs, Rock and Roll High School, Looney Tunes, Back in Action, The Whole 3D. The list goes on. He directed Rock and Roll High School? He did direct Rock and Roll High School. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. I knew it was um, Roger Corman, but I didn't realise it was Joe Dante. Oh, yeah. Wow. Of course, yeah, produced by another master, Roger Corman. Um, yeah, Joe jo Dante is one of those directors that you know, no matter what he makes, is guaranteed to at least be fun. Yes. He has this thing where he kind of makes bubblegum comedy horror films, like family-friendly horror films that also know how to go all out with the gore when they want to. Yeah. He clearly has, like, an affinity for the old-school horror films. Yes. Um, The ridiculous horror films. I mean, if you see Matinee, which I believe to be his best film. Yeah. um, If you see Matinee, you, you see where... He gets his love of that silly horror from, yeah, and definitely. It, it's. I mean, I haven't seen Looney Tunes back in action, um, but you can see that kind of style throughout his his films. Yeah, and they're much better for it. It's made on a budget of six hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and it made sixteen million dollars worldwide. 
Yeah. Quite a success. I mean, that's what Roger Corman was good at. Yeah. You know, small, Z-list Well, he'd, he'd pick a director and he'd give them one of his projects and they'd later go on to great success. They'd get their own pro- Something like that. I haven't got it written down. I can't think of the top of my head, but it's something like that. I think they get to make a passion project or something if they made something of his. Like, he gives them a... I, I don't know. Yeah, I think so a lot of the time it was, you know, he brought who he believed were talented directors on board. He would say, I need you to direct this quick little film and then you can sort of go on your way. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll get you in the director's guild and then you can go off and make Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. Uh, getting into the trivia, Bradford Dillman was originally unhappy with his character's 2D nature and asked the writer John Sayles why his character was so thin. Sayles responded that Roger Corman regularly did not use good actors in this in his films, so he deliberately didn't elaborate on characters. But since Dillman was a real actor, he was more than happy to announce his character's depth. Okay. I assume Bradford Dillman is Paul Grogan? Yeah, and... I'm assuming he must have been fucking wafer thin before the changes, because <laughs> he ain't that deep in this. No. <laughs> Universal Studios attempted to sue New World for spoofing Jaws. However, Steven Spielberg saw the movie in advance and loved it. After that, Universal dropped the lawsuit. And Steven Spielberg described this as the best of the Jaws ripoffs. He and Joe Dante later collaborated on Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, who played Hooper in Jaws, Later had a cameo in one of today's films, Piranha 3D. Yeah, um, I can see why Steven Spielberg would have enjoyed the film. Yeah, um, it is a rip off of Jaws. There's yeah. no denying. But it's very that. much. It's it's more like a parody than a rip off. Yeah, yeah. There are. It but is, make no mistake. This is a comedy. This film is a comedy. a comedy. It is a comedy. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm assuming they probably wouldn't have been able to sue successfully anyway if it was no. a parody. I don't know. I don't know how that works. The piranhas were done by attaching rubber puppet fish to sticks. They certainly were. <laughs> they definitely were. That's exactly how they were made. Yeah, it's it's a good job um, that all of their scenes are obviously underwater. And obviously you might think, well, Gary, they're piranhas. Of course they're underwater. Wait till we get to the next episode. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that saves them a little bit from looking completely ridiculous. Let's be honest. It's 1978. Yeah. You know, it's low budget. They do the best they can. And what they can't fix, they cover up with a bit of murky water. Yeah, basically. And, uh, yeah, and some, like, red dye in the water to help cover the... Uh, um, sh- shoddiness? Yeah. yeah is, that, is that too harsh? Shoddiness. No, no, it's, it's accurate. The extras were all paid $5 a day and given a lunchbox. They definitely were paid $5 a day and given a lunchbox. <laughs> and if you gave me $5 for the day and a lunchbox, you'd get the same performance out of me. <laughs> do you think the uh, kid on the boat, the daddy, daddy, kid, do you think he was... Uh, 
class as an extra because he was acting like he was paid five dollars a day in a lunchbox. I <laughs> don't have no idea what you're talking about. That's at least a twenty-five dollar performance. <laughs> that, that's a subway. That's, that's a sub- <laughs> that, That's twenty-five dollars and KFC. <laughs> Executive producer Roger Corman called this film My Homage to Jaws. So, I mean, as I said, I see it as a parody, but, I mean, parody to Roger Corman is uh, a nod, one big nod. But a parody can be an homage yeah, to something. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's when you do a parody right, really. That's when parodies are right, yeah. is when you have a love for the film. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they all love Jaws. Um, so, therefore, parodying that is... You know, a love letter, really, yeah. when it's done well. Yeah. Um, previous star of the podcast, Barbara Steele, is in this film. Slay Queen. Uh, previous, she was in Sh- uh, Shivers. She was? Yeah. Um, previously seen in a bath with uh, something dropping into the water and entering her. Uh, she's now in another film with things that enter water and... Well, they don't enter people, but they kill people. Yeah. Uh, but she isn't in the water in this. She is serving executive realness, and her role was originally written for a man. Yeah, like most roles. <laughs> yeah. And she owns it. She fucking... She doesn't even try and change it to be, like, a feminine role. She fucking owns it as a man. It's weird to see Barbara Steele in that role. She doesn't even know how to say fucking piranhas. <laughs> don't. We'll get to that. Um... <laughs> She, uh, I'm kind of maybe used to her being a bit more lively in her roles. <laughs> um, she's very much, you know, executive realness. And yeah. Uh, whilst the two main characters are exploring the cluttered lab, a small two-legged humanoid lizard creature skitters across a countertop without their noticing. The stop-motion monster was a homage to Ray Harryhausen, and it was Joe Dante's hope to bring the creature back a few times throughout the film, growing bigger each time. Originally, it even hoped to end the film with a giant version of the creature attacking a pier. Unfortunately, they didn't have anywhere near the budget they would have needed to pull that off, so this remains its one and only cameo, as Dante had to focus on the rubber fish. And that's a shame, because I'd have loved to have seen that. Yeah, that would have been good. It, it's, it is very Ray Harryhausen. The, the stop motion looks better than the fish. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I that did... little sequence, the practical effects are great, and that little sequence that are in the lab, and there's all those creatures. It was weird, though, to see it, and yeah. then never, never see, see it again. again. <laughs> uh, Joe Dante once said that he and collaborator and B-movie producer Roger Corman would submit this and other movies to the MPAA, make the suggested cuts to avoid an X rating, and then reinsert them before the films were distributed to theatres, since the MPAA didn't follow up once they assigned their initial rating. That's one way to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's admirable. Fair play, Roger Corman and Joe Dante. If only the uh, makers of Friday the 13th thought of doing the same. The sequels. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dante, in the commentary originally released in 2004, said the noise that the piranhas make underwater are the sound. And this this surprised me, actually. The sound is of dental drills. Are you okay? (laughs) Um, I'm shocked. Yeah, because, I mean, I have a massive fear of the dentist, and hearing that sound normally gives me shivers, so I didn't recognise that at all. It does not sound like dentist drills. No, it didn't. I'm struggling to remember what it sounded like. Like, 
<laughs> That's exactly what it sounds. Maybe it's a dentist drill under water. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. I suppose maybe. you're going to need it to uh, um, sound like it's underwater yeah. as the uh, piranhas are. He didn't go into any more detail than that. Um, they could put the edge of uh, the drills into water and an underwater mic capture the sounds that they turned go. off. God, if I just finished reading. Exactly. Another possibility is the drills were turned on. Only proofread these. But another possibility is the drills were turned on above water and recorded from underwater. Okay. That's kind of right either way. Um, but anyway, while Who's he was. that into it? <laughs> while he was frantically editing. There's a whole world out there, mate. While he was frantically editing it at the end of his 20-day schedule, Dante said he was convinced this was the worst film ever made. Oh, Which, that's harsh. No, it's nowhere near. Um, Entertainment Weekly ranked this number nine on their Guilty Pleasures testosterone edition list in 2007. Is it a, is it a guilty, guilty pleasure? pleasure? I think it's a guilty pleasure. Is it? I do, it depends. If you go into it expecting a comedy then it's not a guilty pleasure. It's yeah. a comedy. But if you're going into it expecting a horror film and you end up having a good time, but you're still going to think everything's a bit shit, though, aren't you? Yeah. Really? Because it's not... It doesn't really work as a edge-of-the-seat horror film. No, no. But it's de- absolutely not the worst... No. Uh, ...film ever made. Not when the guest is around. <sighs> Okay, are you trying to make us lose listeners? <laughs> Just to clarify, everyone, I do not agree with that statement <laughs> at all. And neither does Chris, he's trolling you. <laughs> the worst film ever made. Anyway, so you say, is The Guest better or worse than Piranhas 1995? Worse. Oh. Wait, what was my question? <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, never mind. Piranhas 1995, directed by Scott P. Levy. <laughs> The director of Midnight Tease, The Alien Within, Escape to Nowhere, Babyface Nelson, Time Under Fire, National Lampoon's Men in White, and Error in Judgment. Fun fact about National Lampoon's Men in White. I really, I remember that from Blockbuster back in the day. I remember it being on the shelves and thinking it Is that what I think it is? And Men in Black ripoff. Oh, no, well, parody. parody. Yeah, it's got like a 1.8 or something on IMDb. No, yeah. really? Uh-huh. I, just, I always remember seeing it there, and I remember it being on Sky Cinema back then as well. Never watched it, um, but I just remember its existence. And that's my previous experience with Scott P. Levy. What Have you got any? Uh, Midnight Tees? Midnight Tees sounds like one of those Channel 5 erotic thrillers <laughs> on a Friday night. Which I used to watch religiously. I had no idea why. There's a good chance you've probably seen Midnight Tees then. I probably watched Midnight Tees. I can't tell you a budget or how much it made because the budget is top secret apparently. And it was straight to TV, as you can tell. Um, no, no, I've got the budget. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. £5 in lunch. <laughs> yeah, I think so. £5 lunch and an extra cameo in there, Midnight Tees. Yeah. So this is uh, Mila Kunis' debut film. Yes. Star of American Psycho 2. It is definitely her debut film. Star of Santa with Muscles. She ain't, she ain't been in anything else before this. She ain't even been on stage. She ain't even been in her high school play. She hasn't been around this. human beings before this. No. <laughs> See, I mean... <laughs> I have Mila Kunis down as one of my favourites on IMDb, and the more I think about what she's been in, the more I'm asking myself why. (laughs) 
Did I just hear you mention American Psycho 2, All-American Girl? I did. Yeah. Uh, Santa and Muscles. She was in Santa and Muscles. Bad Mum's Christmas. She had a difficult 10 years, didn't she? <laughs> Bad Mum's Christmas. But this is when she, she was good in the, that 70s show. I enjoyed that. She was good in Black Swan. Yes, she was. There you go. That's why. She just needs the right That's... material, clearly. Yeah. Um, rather than shoot new special effects for the film, Roger Corman simply recycled the effects from the original. Oh. Sets and props were also designed to look like the first film to help accommodate the recycling of the special effects. So every time you yeah. see the piranhas underwater in this film and someone's ass looks different to the rest of their swimming costume from above water, it's because you're seeing the first film again. Yeah. That's so Well, it cheap. feels like you've seen the first film again, either way. <laughs> Um, but but now, now it makes sense knowing that Roger Corman had something to do with oh, yeah. this. Yeah. Some of the scenes were shot in the same locations as the original as well to help with that. Uh, Roger Corman cut close to 10 minutes of film and scripted footage, which added a great deal of humour and character development to the proceedings, much to the annoyance of the filmmakers and much of the cast. Yeah, who, who would want... Uh... <laughs> Humour and uh, backstory. Release the Corman cut. Of probably nineteen ninety five. No. Scott P. Levy cut. <laughs> Release the Levy cut. <laughs> so yeah, that's all the trivia I got for nineteen ninety five. On to Piranha three D, released in twenty ten, directed by uh, Alexander Ayer. We've now learned how to pronounce that properly because we'd probably sound like a bunch of twats on the Hills of Eyes yeah, episode. Yeah, I think, yeah. Although the Hills of Eyes episode is one of my favourites that we've recorded, so still go listen to it. It's where Chris accidentally calls someone a gay cunt. There we go. Um, accidentally. So yeah, it's, uh, previous director of the, uh, from the podcast, the Hills of Eyes, Switchblade Romance, Mirrors, Horns, Crawl, etc. Budget of $24 million and it made... $83.1 million worldwide. Do you have a previous relationship or memory of when this film was released? I All I remember was the big deal made of Kelly Brook getting naked in a film. Like, Kelly Brook, um, for any of our American or, or non um, yeah, because I don't, I don't, I don't think she's famous out really outside the UK. Um, any of our non-UK listeners, she was a glamour model. Yeah. Uh, in a, in America in the UK, uh, when we say glamour model, um, it's more akin to a Playboy bunny. Yeah. Um, you know, so it takes a lot of sort of sexy pictures. Uh, rather than like a fashion model, she's what many. And that's how she was famous. She's what many straight men in the UK would refer to as a lads' mag icon. Yeah, yeah, gorgeous girl, and and actually she ain't that bad in this film either. So she's I'm definitely not the worst. Do. She's not the worst. She's not the worst. Um, I mean, that scene is impressive. Yeah. yeah. Now that we know it's actually her. Yeah. Um, my memory of this film was. I mean, I've been a fan of Alexander Ayer anyway because of Hills of Eyes, so I wanted to go and see this. It's a new horror film. It was in 3D. 3D was big at the mm. time. I really wanted to see this in 3D. Um, so, yeah, I went to see it. And on my way into the cinema, I was stopped by a bunch of kids that were literally about 12 years old asking me to buy them tickets for it because that's classy Britain. 
<laughs> and I said no, of course. Um, I also went to see it with someone I was in a Bloody band hell, with. Gaz, man. You could have bought the tickets. Nah, fuck off. Um, you were watching much worse than this at an <laughs> earlier age. I don't know about that. Um, yeah, someone I was in a band at the time I went to see it at the cinema with them. They didn't like horror films. Uh, so they sat there covering a hi- their eyes through all the horror scenes and uh, kept nudging me like, boobs, boobs, whenever there was tits on the screen. And obviously closeted me. was like, <laughs> yeah, great. Look at that. I'm surprised you, Love could breasts. Feel, surprised you could feel your arm with the amount of breasts in this film. <laughs> If he tapped you every single time. Um, yeah. And uh, also, another memory is, back when this was released, was when the IMDb message, IMDb message boards were about... Do you remember then? I do. They, they were fun. Um, they basically got shut down because people were twats. And uh, Odeon's website allowed reviews, uh, the Odeon Cinema's website. And these IMDb message boards and Odeon, all everyone would talk about this film is fucking is is the nudity. Yeah. Like the Odeon website was full it's of a big selling point. Yeah, it was full of people complaining. Yeah. Like I can't believe you'd show this at your cinema with all this filth in it, all this nudity. Oh, I might as well have just gone and watched porn. This is softcore porn. This is. Do you know what? I'm surprised it got a theatrical release because this is definitely more nudity than you'd see in the average theatrical released horror film. And more gore as well. Why? And sometimes it's together. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, but what I... I don't know. I, I find it difficult. Maybe, you know, watching a lot of films like this for many years, I've just become accustomed to the, yeah. the nudity. Um, but I didn't think it was particularly sexual. Are you sure you want to stick with that statement? (laughs) But I mean, but it was literally just, here are a pair of breasts. Yeah. You know why we didn't find it sexual? No, no, no. You're misunderstanding what I'm saying. Is that in terms of on-screen nudity, the ladies were naked. Yeah. But the ladies weren't naked being sexual. No. They weren't... You know, um, having sex, they weren't, you know, touching themselves in a certain kind of way. No. It was just, here you go, here's a pair of boobs. There is one scene, one infamous scene, yeah. that is more sexual, mm-hmm. um, as in sex is happening. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it, to me, it was just, well, there's a pair of boobs, there's a pair of, oh, a pair of boobs. Yeah. And also, I feel like this is also a certain amount... I think we discussed this yesterday. Is a certain amount satire as well? But I think the satire gets lost sometimes. Because yeah. it's, it's very much... You know, this is around that time. But if you had a film like this that was set, you know, on spring break, this is what you're going to see. But yeah. this just goes over the top with it and overdoes it to the point where it's like, okay, you're doing this for comedic purposes at yeah. times. But then, when this film opens with Harvey Weinstein's name in the ca- in the credits, yeah. and when Eli Roth is in the film, basically being himself and being all pervy, it kind of crosses that line where it's like, okay, maybe this is bordering on sleazy now. And that's the thing. It It's... For half the film, a parody... 
of a certain culture. Mm. Um, you know, hilarious. But when you're playing up that culture so much and it gets amped up and amped up and amped up, mm-hmm. that you become a parody of yourself. Yeah. It's like, you know, how far is is the film going to go before it becomes exactly what it sets out to ridicule? Exactly, exactly. And I, I think that does happen. Yeah. There's one particular scene, obviously we'll get to it, where that does happen and yeah. for fuck's sake. So getting into the trivia, um, Alexandra, uh, Alexander Ayer planned to have Joe Dante and James Cameron, who of course directed Piranha 2, <laughs> Uh, play boat captains who give safety lessons to the teens. Dante wanted to do it, but Cameron was too busy. That's a shame. Yeah, well, let's be honest. Joe Dante has made some wonderful films, but he hasn't made Titanic. No. So, I think I think James Cameron wants I think busy. James Cameron wants his Piranha Days behind him. Yeah. Um, a television spot was banned because it had too much gore and gave away the ending. That's can I just go back? I just need to correct myself. Um, Joe Dante has made some successful films. Gremlins. But he hasn't made it's one of the biggest films. But he hasn't made Titanic. No. Which was the biggest yeah, film yeah, of, of all time. I don't believe Titanic is James Cameron's best film. I said the wrong word. I said okay. best. Kelly Brook and oh, Ryan. No, I said good. I said good. <laughs> Kelly Brook and. I don't know. Don't don't come for me. I don't think Titanic. I don't think anyone is. They might do. I don't think anyone is. He said Titanic was uh, James Cameron's best film. No, Piranha. Everyone knows it's, it's the Piranha Two. Everyone knows it's the. Abyss. Everyone knows it's Piranha Two. <laughs> Kelly Brook and Riley Steele, uh, an actual porn star, might I add, Riley Steele, spent two Good weeks. For her. She looked beautiful. Uh, yes, yeah, she did. She spent two weeks training for their nude synchronized underwater swimming set piece, and as I said, it is impressive. As two gay men watching it, this is like, yes, go on, girls. Um, but <laughs> one of my other biggest issues, I'll probably bring this up at the wrong point, but whilst it's on my mind, one thing that really pisses me off about this film, now I enjoy this film, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's trash, one thing that really pisses me off about it, and what pissed me off about a lot of films in the t- early 2010s, late 2000s, is fucking sexualizing women kissing. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. I fucking hate that. Fucking, I don't even know what to call it. This straight man obsession with women kissing, really. It just pisses me off. But they were kissing to be sexual. Sexual. Yeah, like there's um that whole scene on the boat when they do the tequila shots. All on kiss each other. Go on, all Tonga. It's like, oh, come on, give me a fucking break. Yeah, it's true. I, I think... hate sexualizing. Lesbians pissing me off. That's the thing. And when when it's straight, they're getting straight girls to do it too. It's like really, really. Yeah. No, I, I do understand that. Um, you don't really. Well, you, I don't think you ever really get it the other way around, do you? No, I don't women? think women get off on men kissing. So, oh no! I, I don't maybe. think. Maybe yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't tie everyone with the same brush. No, but there's. But not, the stereotype isn't there. But there's it. It's not as broadly. Yeah. Broadcast as, um, two women making out is clearly, for the male gaze. Yeah. You know, male gaze, not homosexual <laughs> males. Get male gaze. 
Um, yeah, also with that scene, I'm so sorry to the two ladies. They did a wonderful job. But because it's a film in 3D, mm. I actually thought it was CGI and they weren't underwater. That's what makes it even more impressive. It does so, look CGI, but props it's all... to them. Yeah. But if Gary hadn't read out the IMDb, um, uh, his trivia... He, wow. He, he, Come he, for me. Sorry. Didn't ask for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you interview Kelly Brown? Um, yes. But if we hadn't just read that out then, I still probably would have thought it was CGI. Yeah. So props to them for doing it, but maybe it, it was a little pointless. Hopefully. It also looks great in 3D as well. Um, the, the 3D is really good on this film. The film was not screened for comes critics. right at you, didn't it? It just come right at you. The film was not screened for critics, although unusual for such circumstances, the critics actually liked it. not sure how true that statement is. I think it was better received than it probably should have been for a film like this. But what's... In, inherently, what is wrong with the film? Well, not a lot, but normally critics always bash films like this anyway. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I think... If, I don't know if Roger Ebert was alive at the time. Um, if, I don't think Roger Ebert <laughs> yeah, would have enjoyed it. We don't it. have any Roger Ebert quotes. I don't yeah, think just he would have enjoyed it. Um, but you can get away with a lot if you tell everyone you're a comedy. Yeah, basically. No, <laughs> just joking. I was only joking. <laughs> Absolutely no cuts were demanded by the MPAA. Again, you could get away with a lot of things if you say you're a comedy. Exactly. Well, that's... Uh, famously what Wes Craven told the MPAA about Scream. Yeah. Just watch yeah. it, you know, um, watch it as a comedy. Yeah. And it got passed. Girls Gone Wild mogul Joe Francis wrote a letter to the producer saying he was angry at the film because of Jerry O'Connell's character who owns a site called Wild Wild Girls, which is a spoof of the adult video line and that he might take legal action uh, if, uh, if if there's any uh, damaging statements or depictions in the media or in the film itself or other statements that portray Mr. Francis in a false light, um, then he'll basically soon harass us straight away. After seeing the movie, Francis went on saying, I appreciate a good parody as much as the next guy, but to associate me with drugs and the filming of underage girls crosses a definite line. He doesn't film underage girls. Kelly? She's not underage. 17. That's oh, underage in America. Shit. Yeah, in America, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, Jerry O'Connell has repeatedly um, stated on the public record that he is playing Joe Francis, <laughs> not a fictional character based on him. Mr. O'Connell has done this despite having been warned by his own lawyers not to admit this. In response, O'Connell said... I get to play Joe Francis. Oh, wait, for legal reasons, I'm supposed to say I played someone loosely based on Joe Francis. Joe jo Who <laughs> is actually... Seems like a genuinely great guy. Jerry O'Connell. Is hilariously funny and loves The Real Housewives. Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, and he, he's... I would, I would. I'm not, I'm not saying he's... You know, my favourite... One of my favourite actors. But I would invite him to a dinner party. Yeah. He's he's one of the best things about this. I'd I'd make him uh, one of my special dinners. Alright, fucking hell. Oh, Jesus. Know, yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. I forgot where I was, was then. He's not going to put you on Wild Wild Girls. <laughs> Kelly Brook auditioned oh, with yeah. an American accent. 
Did she really? Deeply disappointed Alexander Ayer, who called her back and asked her to speak in a natural English accent. Well, uh, I ain't going to lie to you. Um, it kind of sounds like a fake British accent. <laughs> you thought the character would be much more appealing if Brooke played her in a normal voice. Um, Gianna Michaels was a last-minute replacement for Natasha Nice, who got arrested whilst working on a hardcore movie prior to the shooting of her scene and was unable to do the small part Michael play- Michaels plays in the picture. Oh. Not sure who she plays, but that's the sort of trivia we need to include here. That's not so nice, is it? It's, uh, yeah. Definitely not nice. Why was she... I mean, I don't know why she was arrested. I know, that's what I want to know. Yeah? I need to know. People have a right to know. When Richard Dreyfus was interviewed about the film, he explained, I don't know anything about Piranha other than the work I did on the film. I worked for two days in the middle of the desert, got my check and left. I don't understand 3D. Didn't understand it in the 50s. I can't understand it now. I don't see what the big deal is. Oh, shit. <laughs> I be what a great payday for him. Richard Dreyfus with his career, <laughs> who's interviewing, who's asking questions about Piranha 3D? He's top build cast. <laughs> is he? Is he He's in one cast? scene. <laughs> well, we've seen that plenty of times. Chuck Russell oh was originally goodness. going to direct. Um, he did, however, uh, help rewrite Chuck the script. Yeah. He helped rewrite the script with Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger, as well as incorporating the original John Sayles script that Joe Dante directed the first time around. So he mashed them together. Chuck Russell As in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Nightmare on Street 3. The mask. Yeah. The blob. Oh, did he do the mask? He did. Oh, bloody hell. So, 1978. 1978. I believe we start with Barbara and David. Barbara, who looks a bit too old to be a teenager. And David, who looks like he's in his 40s, like Ed from The Mutilator. Yeah. That's the first thing I have here, and that's not on the Wikipedia, so I thought I'd just mention it now. Two teenagers. Teenagers. (laughs) That's what it says here. Two teenagers come upon an apparently abandoned military installation at night. They take advantage of what appears to be a swimming pool to skinny dip. Lies. Lies and many lies. Yeah, Um, barely, barely skinny dip. As normal, I've taken this from Wikipedia Mm -hmm. to make it a little easier and added my own little notes. Um, They do not skinny dip. (laughs) He takes his shirt off. She pushes him in, and he's still in his jeans. She then gets down to uh, just her knickers. Yeah. And accidentally, seemingly, she accidentally pulls her knickers down <laughs> with her trousers. Um, George W's back in office. And then she pulls them back up again. So it's kind of weird. If, if I was the, you know, it's like the actress accidentally showed us. Um, anyway, the teenagers are attacked by an unseen force in the pool and disappear under the water. Yes, before this, she says, let's get wet. (laughs) He says, you bit me. And she says, what do I look like? A creature from the Black Lagoon? (laughs) There is, and this, and (laughs) and so begins the tradition of piranha films featuring people flailing in water. (laughs) With seemingly nothing around. Yeah. <laughs> Just flailing. Uh, a determined but somewhat absent-minded skip tracer named Maggie McEwen. Yeah, she's two-thirds bloodhound. She's two-thirds bloodhound. I got that as well. 
Um, she's played by the girl from Sound of Music. Yeah, she's playing Jaws the Arcade Game. Yes, she is. Uh, she's dispatched to find the missing teenagers near Lost River Lake. She hires surly backwards drunkard Paul Ro- Paul Rogan. Fucking hell, Rogan. I clean my glasses. But backwards drunkard Paul Grogan to serve as her guide. Now, do you think being a drunkard is fleshing out the role? I think so. Do you think he wasn't meant I, to be a pisser? No. Uh, yeah, so we're introduced to Maggie. She's playing a Jaws arcade game. Um, I thought she was a doctor. I thought she was dressed as a doctor when we first were introduced to her. No, not quite. Uh, also, Paul is introduced buying booze off an old geezer. He is. Who reels off everything he has, like a daily positivity mantra, <laughs> before asking Paul what he has in his life. So rude. They're like, well, I'm, I've got the ocean. Yeah, I've got... <laughs> no, it's just the ocean. I've got... <laughs> I've got the, I've got the dog. I've got all this. What have you got, Paul? Fucking hell, mate. Bit harsh. Um, he is he is quite surly though, isn't he? This Paul. He is. Uh, Maggie does tell him, "Well, you're definitely the wrong end, all right." <laughs> no, the e- wrong end of right. Oh, I said all right. Oh, doesn't what? Oh, okay. Anyway, they come upon the abandoned compound, which functioned as a fish hatchery before being militarised. They discover bizarre specimens in jars and indications of an occupant. Um, yes, yeah, so that's when we get the weird stop motion yeah. thing with legs. Um, we also get a point of view suggesting that the piranhas are in the water. Now, this is daytime. Yeah. Um, and well, the, the, the piranhas are in the water. Yeah. Um... But we get a point of view shot where, um, isn't it Paul? Yeah. Oh my God, I've just read it out. Um, it's so ghastly. Uh, but Paul has his hand in the water and the piranha's, piranha's uh, going to go up to him and bite him. And he takes it out just in time. And it's like, this is daytime now. Surely you should be able to see them in there. <laughs> like, are they not making any noise? Are they no. not splashing? Anyway, Maggie locates the drainage switch for the outside pool and decides to empty it to search the bottom. But the moment she activates it, a haggard man appears and tries to stop her until he is subdued by Grogan. Oh, he, he appears and from under Maggie. a blanket. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, this says subdued by Grogan, but Maggie's actually the one who knocks him out. It's true. Um, but yeah, so he's knocked out. Uh, the two then find a skeleton in the filtration trap of the empty pool and learn it was filled with salt water. The man awakens and steals their jeep but crashes it due to his disorientation <laughs> in the hilarious scenes and is taken to Grogan's home where they spend the night. Yeah. I, this is when we're introduced to the uh, really aggressive camp counsellor at Susie's camp. Susie being Paul's daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Do you have any notes about it's him? It's revealed that Grogan's daughter Susie is at a summer camp down the river. Uh, camp counsellor Laura is sweet and looks like a young Nancy Allen. She uh, looks like a young Nancy Allen, but she's really trying to be the gym teacher from Carrie. Yes, yeah, she is. No, no, that's the other one. Is it? Yeah, the one that looks like Nancy Allen, that's uh, Laura. The other, the other one who... I think Mary Jo Dante, mm-hmm. she's in a lot of his films. Oh, okay. She's the one that's given me uh, um, the gym teacher from Carrie. 
Um, but yeah, the head of the camp, Mr. Dumont, is a knob and tries <laughs> to bully Susie into swimming in the water. She's so He's like, you don't like fish! You don't like fish, you fucking bitch! Get in that water! He's like fuming at her. Yeah, he's played by... Um, oh my God. Uh, he's played by... Give me one second, give me one second. Who's give me one second? <laughs> he's played by Paul Bartel. Um, who was in a few Joe Dante films. Um, he was also in Chopping Moor, Escape from L.A., uh, Hi Mum, uh, The Howling, Gremlins 2, Rock and Roll High School. Um, he's directed films. Um, yeah, so he's pretty... I mean, does barely anything in this, but <laughs> apart from being mean. Um, but yeah, Maggie... Do you think she's... I mean, she's not a journalist or anything, but she goes a little Oprah on Paul's... She does. Grogan. I'm going to call him Grogan. So much easier. Um, She goes a little Oprah, don't she? She does. She asks him if he started drinking after his wife left him. (laughs) She asks him about his employment status and his daughter. (laughs) She's a bit full on. Okay, mate. Um, yeah, so Grogan's show, um, oh, Grogan's show-off friend from earlier, Jack, is pissed and chatting shit by the river <laughs> when his feet are attacked by piranhas. Yes. Uh, they then take Grogan's raft down the river, where the man they knocked out wakes up and tells them that the pool in the facility was filled with a school of lethal piranha fish, and that Maggie has released them into the river. They are sceptical until they hear a dog barking and they come across the corpse of Jack, who has bled to death from the attack on the fishing dock. Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> not really much to say no. about that one. It just kind of, it happens. Yeah. Uh, the man reveals himself to be Dr. Robert Hoke, lead scientist of a defunct Vietnam War project, Operation Razor Teeth. <laughs> Tasked with engineering a ravenous and prodigious strain of piranha that can endure the cold water of the North Vietnamese rivers and inhibit Viet Cong movement. The project was shut down when the war ended, but some of the mutant specimens survived and Hoke tended to them to salvage his work. Grogan realises that if the local dam is opened, the school will have access to the Lost River Water Park Resort and the nearby summer camp where his daughter Susie is is in attendance. Yeah, so um, that's a lot of information for what isn't really much going on plot-wise. No, no. It is a real indication of how absolutely awful... Um, the war in Vietnam was. I know, yeah. Um, that they were going to train fish to kill people, you know? Um, and they, they just kept them just in case. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of part of the film that isn't really a comedy. Um, they encounter a capsized canoe with a boy whose father has been killed by the piranha. This isn't a comedy, this is a sad scene. This is a sad scene. Daddy! Daddy! Um, so when I say that his father was killed by the piranha, what I mean is we saw him flailing around in some red water. Uh, Hoke rescues the boy, but suffers mortal injuries when the school attacks him. He dies before he can reveal how to kill them. Um, we actually, this is the first time we actually properly see some piranhas. Yeah. 
um, see some, you know, carb, what were they made of? Rubber. Rubber fish on sticks. Um, yeah. <laughs> Looks as good as you think it looks. Uh, blood from Hoke's corpse causes the piranha to tear away the raft's lashings and they barely reach shore. <laughs> Grogan stops the dam attendant from opening the spillway and then calls the military. In the meantime, <laughs> the kid that they rescued, <laughs> when uh, the guy, uh, when Hoke, when his corpse is being pushed off the raft, he's like, no, daddy, that's my daddy. That's what happened to my daddy. That's so, yeah, <laughs> so weird. I'm like, that's not your dad. Um, <laughs> a military team led by Colonel Waxman and former Razor Teeth scientist Dr. Mengers, played by... Uh, Screen Queen, Barbara Steele. Yes, with those uh, eyebrows and that outfit. They feed poison into the upstream section, ignoring the protests that the piranha survived the first attempt. Piranha. Piranha. So, um, Dr. Menges, played by Barbara Steele, is the only person in this film who decides to pronounce piranha, piranha, <laughs> piranha. 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 Um, which I believe Piranha is uh, from Spanish, I think, um, because they, they're, they're um, native to South America. Yeah. So I do actually feel like she's pronouncing it um, correctly. I don't... I think there's two ways of pronouncing yeah. it. But... Like, every other sort of scientist <laughs> in the film just says piranha, but she decides that she's going to say piranha. <laughs> and so and like, what does she say? What? <laughs> sure enough how intelligent she is. No, apparently. Um, when Grogan discovers that a tributary bypasses the dam, Waxman and Mengers quarantine them to prevent the agitated pair from alerting the media. After they escape, Waxman alerts law enforcement to capture them. Um, yeah, so Mengus is... A, she's a bitch, yeah. isn't she? Um, she apparently was in some kind of relationship with um, Hoke. Yeah. Um, and, but she does say sometimes um, some things, excuse me, are more important than people's lives. And uh, how do... How does Maggie and Grogan escape? So they escape by, first of all, discussing uh, how to seduce a security guard, um, taking into consideration whether he's gay or not. You know, groundbreaking for the 70s. Um, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie asks him if he's gay. Yeah. Straight up. And so like, what did you ask me? So like, oh, look, it's Superman. Then she gets her tits out. She does. And, uh, well, I don't think the girl from The Sound of Music got her tits <laughs> out. I think a body double did. Yeah. And uh, he's knocked out. Yeah, he gets knocked out. So they um, escape from the military, whatever it was. Yes. Uh, Grogan calls the summer camp, but Mr. Dumont just thinks he's drunk and threatens to call the police and won't let him talk to his daughter, which is awful. Like, that's really bad. Yeah. Like, 
You'd get this a really bad fucking job. You'd get a really bad review on Yale if <laughs> that happened these days. Uh, Maggie and Grogan are subsequently stopped by a police officer, and again believing Grogan to be drunk, as he was arrested for being drunk and disorderly the previous month. The police officer locks them up for the night. Uh, we then get a really random scene of the likeable camp counsellors Betsy and Laura about to go for a skinny dip. Yes. But Mr. Dumont is on the lookout for swimming campers <laughs> and stops them. Um, very weird, very strange, kind of pointless, very pointless scene. This film we're also introduced to the mayor, played uh, by Dick Miller in my favourite role of his. Is this your favourite role of his? Got, yes. He's obviously... This is the biggest parody of This is so yeah, obvious. This and is. he does it so well. He is so funny in this role. Yeah, he does, actually. He is good. It's one of the most he's ever had to do in a film as well. That's very true. Other than Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers? Yeah, he has lots to do now. He's a shopkeeper, isn't he? Of course he is, yeah. Yeah, good old Dick Miller. Yes, rest in peace. But, uh, yeah. Maggie slays it down again, breaking out of prison. She does. She uses her smarts to uh, free them from jail. Um, the plan includes, hilariously, stealing the officer's trousers. Yes. <laughs> the next day, the school attacks the summer camp during a swimming marathon, injuring and killing many children and Betsy. Despite her fear of water, Susie uses a raft to rescue Laura. Yeah. Um, yeah, dead kids everywhere. Dead, I mean, we were talking about how shocking the mutilator was for 1981. I'm not, 1984, sorry. Um, for killing the kid. But fucking hell, yeah, there's dead kids everywhere. In this oh, film. dead kids. I feel like the kids aren't killed. Yeah, they are. There's a lot a of bunch films of sort of like holding... But again, it's like you said, they're just moving around in water. And, you yeah, know, it's hard yeah. to tell. It's hard to tell. Yeah, <laughs> Susie forgets the fear of water, doesn't she? Well, she doesn't. She gets on the right. She overcomes <laughs> it. She doesn't forget it. She overcomes it, bless her. Uh, the school continues downriver. Waxman and Mengers arrive at the water park to intercept Grogan and Maggie, but the pir- piranha attack the resort and kill many vacationers and Waxman. Uh, yes. This includes a action sequence involving water skiing, a scuba diver being eaten, and a speedboat causing an explosion. <laughs> I just have done two girls on a speedboat mock their water skiing friend who eventually falls into the water and another speedboat drives into a normal boat causing a big explosion yeah. and a slow motion boat jump. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> you just got to have an explosion, yeah. haven't you? Um, a Dick Miller... He's got an assistant. No, is it Dick Miller as an assistant? He yeah, does, yeah. He does. And the assistant's talking about, oh, the piranha, the piranha. And he's like, what about the piranha? They're eating the guests, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, this also includes um, a piranha ripping off a lady's bikini yeah. top. Dirty Something they, they always seem to do in these Dirty films, little actually. gear. They, yeah, they love it. Uh, Grogan and Maggie commandeer a speedboat and rush to the shuttered smelting plant at the narrowest point of the river. Remembering the empty facility pond, Grogan theorises the fish can survive in salt water. If the school passes the delta, they will reach the ocean and spread over all over the world. He intends to open the smelting refuse tanks, hoping the industrial waste will kill the piranha. <laughs> Ah, ah, we've genetically modified this piranha 
So we've messed about with nature to start with. How are we going to resolve this? Let's just fucking dump a load of fucking shit in the river and hope they die. <laughs> yeah. It's questionable method. Um, and what we're about to see is something we see in every fucking piranha film. It is. Even the second one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they arrive at the plant ahead of the piranha, but the elevated water level has submerged the control office and Grogan must go underwater. He ties a rope around his waist and instructs Maggie to count to 100 before pulling him out. Grogan struggles to move the rusted valve wheel, and when the school arrives and attacks him, he manages to open the valves just as Maggie pulls him to sta- uh, safety. Who's Stacy? Safety. Maggie takes Grogan back to the water park, where a massive medivac is tending to the victims. His injuries are severe, and he is seen in a catatonic state. Uh, medivac is a medical evacuation. I assume so, thank yeah. you. I was a bit like, what's that? Uh, Mengers gives an on-site television interview, <laughs> providing a sanitised version of events and downplaying the existence of Piranha. Her voice is heard carrying out over a radio on the shore of a west coast beach. As she says, there's nothing left to fear. The piranha's characteristic trilling sound drowns out the waves on the beach. Yes. And that is Piranha 1978. It is. And yeah, a, a really great horror comedy that is just really enjoyable. Yeah. It's it's entertaining. Yeah. And that's all you need. It's no Jaws, obviously. It's no. trying to, you know, laugh at Jaws. Um, whilst also writing a love letter to it. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's, it's just so much fun. It's just, it's silly. It's just, yeah. you know, prime Joe Dante doing what he does best. Yeah, and it, it's... It, it, it's silly, but it's not ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So it's still entertaining. Still feels something for the characters. It's not stupid, you know, really. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's no character development or anything. No, it's still taken seriously. No. Uh, yeah. Now, for the same events again, <laughs> but with 90s fashion and haircuts. Yes. 1995, during the night, Barbara, played by stripper and glamour model Larissa McCoymas, and her boyfriend David, who certainly does not sound like a David. No. Like, Hello. <laughs> hey, Larissa McCormack, I'm David, your boyfriend. Uh, they sneak into a closed-down army test site and discover a pool. And... <laughs> Barbara says, I've always dreamed of being swept off my feet by Indiana Jones, and I wind up here with Woody Allen. What a night. He does look like... Well, I mean, he's got the same characteristics as, uh, as Woody Allen. The voice isn't too dissimilar. Well, he's got glasses. He's got glasses. Um, David thinks it looks like it belongs to the military. And Barbara says, I wonder if there's any warheads around. Excuse me. (laughs) And then she tells him, it's okay. Once I turned 18, all rights he had over me as a guardian, they went out the window. And in my favourite dialogue exchange in this film, (laughs) she says... Have you ever seen Creature from the Black Lagoon? And she's getting undressed. And uh, Woody Allen's like, no. And she's like, how about attacking the crab monsters as she unzips her jeans? That is a work of genius. Cinematic gold right there. 
Don't get writing like that anymore. Jokes about genital crabs. W- yeah, whilst he thinks she's about to sleep with her. <laughs> well, have sex in the water. Um, the ghost women are attacked and killed by an unseen force in the pool. <gasps> the next day, J.R. Randolph, the uncle of Barbara, hires private investigator Maggie McNamara to investigate the incident. She's two-thirds bloodhound. We find out again. She's two-thirds Believing bloodhound. her to be a runaway, Maggie searches the area for any possible witnesses, eventually stopping by a local homeowner, Paul Grogan, a lot more miserable this time around and probably would have had a better personality if he had a drinking problem. Yeah. Asking, she asks her for any knowledge of the girl's disappearance. He claims to have not seen her, but leads her to the army test site where they discovered the pool. Well, he's played by former podcast star William Cat. What was he in on the podcast? Carrie. Oh, of course he was. He's Tommy Ross, isn't he? Yes. And, oh, the actress playing Maggie, forgive me, I can't remember your name, um, but she was most famous for Baywatch. And she's wearing a fucking hideous outfit. Yeah, the fashion isn't quite as great this time around. She's got a Wilson Phillips haircut. No one really reaches Barbara Steele's standards in this, do they? <laughs> no. um, they enter to look for any clues until Maggie thinks that they should drain the pool. As she starts draining the pool, a scientist named Dr. Letitia Baines, gender swap from Dr. Hope, uh, again, charging out from a random blanket in the corner of the room, uh, encounters them and attacks Maggie and Paul to stop the draining, but she's too late to do so. Maggie fucking attacks her with a knife before smashing a fish tank over her head. She uses a fucking fish tank as a weapon. She does. Yeah, this scene is, like, way more violent than the original. <laughs> they investigate the bottom of the pool and discover a skeleton, which they believe is that of a dog. Don't swap a human for a dog. That's not cool. Baines steals the jeep, um, but crashes after seeing the deer. <laughs> And she does, she does, excuse it's me. It's 1995 now, not 1978. My apologies. The aggressive camp counsellor from the original is now a bitchy counsellor called Gina, who tells Susie to sort her shit out or she won't get on TV when the camera crew arrives. Mm. But nice camp counsellor Laura, not Laurie, Laura, calls her a bitch and basically tells her to fuck off. Now, Laura is played by Song Moonfry. Yes. Who was probably most famous at that time... Uh, for playing Punky Brewster. Um, I know her, and I was I stand her uh, back in the day, because she played Sabrina's college friend <laughs> in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yes, um, yeah. and this is the scene of all the big stars, because Susie is, of course, played by Mila Kunis. Yes. You wouldn't know, though, because, I mean, did anyone check her pulse? There's no life in that <laughs> performance whatsoever. <laughs> Susie's played by a cardboard cutout of Mila Kunis. Yes. Um, Later that night, uh, someone wakes up. Maggie wakes up. Um, Wait, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because Wikipedia didn't want to include the whole uh, camp scene. Um, But I did. Um, Baines woke up. You do you, hun. Uh, somehow, someone playing a prank at a summer camp wakes her up. Yeah, okay, so there's a campfire scene, and um, someone plays a prank on the campers. But as they play the prank with the campers, the bizarre editing switches to Letitia waking up. Like, like the jump scare woke oh, her up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she informs uh, Maggie and Paul that a school of piranha lived in the pool that they have drained. Uh, and are assumed that she assumes they're heading to the river. <laughs> Maggie says 
She thinks someone wants to kill her. And Paul says, she's right, and the killer matches my description. <laughs> He's horrible. Paul is horrible in this film. He's such a piece of shit. Um, we get a repeat of the kid and his dad scene from the original. Letitia... <laughs> Letitia does a low effort yet slightly camp dive into the uh, into the river to save him. She fucking looked like Gemma <laughs> Collins when she's trying to. Well, she dive. fell over. Well, she, oh, she does look like Gemma Collins <laughs> dancing on ice. Um, but she dies from piranha bites, and that doesn't really make Paul like her anymore. It just pisses him off even more. Just can't. He's like, "Oh, dare you fucking die, you bitch!" Paul, knowing his daughter Susie was at a scout camp just downstream of the river, joins uh, Maggie and uh, and goes to visit Randolph and try and convince him to shut down a grand opening of a resort just downstream. Mm-hmm. They fail and have to make many twists and turns to try and save people downstream. Uh, we're introduced to a TV ad director <laughs> who is clearly a pervert. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any age limit to his pervertness. It's confusing because I don't know how old Gene is meant to be. No. Well, first of all, he tells the kids to think of uh, their acting as more than a commercial and more of an extension of themselves. And he also says to them, I'll give you ice cream if you shout louder. Yeah. These are red flags, guys. Come on. Um, Gina wants to fuck him. She she wants a bit of that uh, director D. They try filming another commercial this time with the mayor, <laughs> but the cameraman is fuming. Like cut cut cut! Who's that bleach bomb bimbo with her tits in the shot? <laughs> and of course Gina is just standing in the corner she of the does. camera, fucking living her best life, posing away. That's true. The director asks her to leave the shot, and she asks if she agrees to it, um, as long as they can make their own movie later on, and he agrees to that. The piranha tear the raft apart because of Letitia's blood leaking through. Um, Paul has absolutely no problem pushing her off. Uh, and the kid tries stopping them because he thinks Letitia is his dad. My dad. My, yeah. That's my dad. So That's my the dad. the dialogue. It's the guys. original, but it's been gender swapped from the 90s. It's like, guys, come on. Can you not see that it didn't quite work in the original when you did that? Why are you doing it again? And now, with a woman... Definitely doesn't work this time around. On the way to warn people of the piranha, Maggie and Paul are arrested by Randolph, um, who claimed that they lied about the piranha, dismissing it as nonsense. Randolph provides exposition that Paul was part of the Save the Gay feminist whale group before his wife left him and took their kid. So it kind of redeems Paul a little bit. We all love the uh, gay feminists to save the whales group. Yeah, I don't think he actually was. I think that was him taking the piss. I... He might be an environmentalist. Save the gay whales feminist group. (laughs) Um, The pervy director takes Gina out on a boat at night, films her, and tells her she reminds him of a shot he saw in a Bergman movie. (laughs) Uh, You know the scriptwriter was like, okay, um, just say the first director you could think of. And doesn't he say something like... uh... He does, he does. He he has another one. She takes the bikini top off for him. She asks him to go swimming, but he can't swim. Uh, she tells him he has to earn her to have sex, so he pushes her into the water. And she says, you asshole!" And he says, great dialogue. I love improvisation. Just like in an Altman film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Gina is then eaten by Piranha uh, whilst the director films the whole thing and does absolutely nothing to help her. Nothing. And disappears for the and rest disappears of the film. And disappears until, like, the very end. Yeah. Maggie and Paul escape from custody. But no one mentions Gina's death either. No. No one says, yeah, because everyone fucking Gina? hates her. She's a bitch. <laughs> everyone's glad. Um... Maggie and Paul escape from custody. Maggie asks Paul if he's ever seen a film called Big Bust from Sla- from Sailbox 7. Um, and <laughs> the cop comes in and says, what the hell is going on here? Sounds like the damn roof fell on the goddamn place. <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, the roof caved in. But it sounds like the damn roof fell on the goddamn place. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit weird. The Piranhas first make their way to... Improvisations are uh, Altman-esque. Yes, very. The Piranhas first make their way to the camp and start attacking the kids. Susie, very reluctantly, takes a raft and saves her friend Darlene. (laughs) She's like, oh yeah, might might save you, if I could be bothered. Darlene tries to save... How did Darlene have a name? <laughs> I know, yeah. Doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't the director even had a name. He had a bigger part. I don't part. even think you see Darlene's face. No. <laughs> Darlene tries to save Laura, um, but she falls in and the piranha kill her. Maggie and Paul make it to the camp. Paul grabs a canoe and saves his daughter and the kids. Um, yeah. Action hero Paul. Well yeah, done. it's all very much the same, same as, as the original, original just yeah. with different hairstyles. There's a guy who had his legs chewed down to the bone by the piranha, still alive, and it doesn't look terrible. I mean, one thing is this film ups the practical effects. Yeah. Yeah, um, you, you can tell um, special effects have gotten better. That's the only years. thing the budget went on, clearly. Yeah. Um, but this guy has had his legs chewed down to the bone. Uh, it looks disgusting. The piranha is still alive. But him and all of the kids are just not bothered at all. They're just really no. bored. Yeah. And Maggie hugs a child. But he's, <laughs> he is just sort of like sat there. Like, yeah. Oh. oh. can't believe this happened to me. Yeah, Maggie hu- happened to me. Maggie hugs a child. Yeah, it's very <laughs> weird. So, yeah, so... He hugs his daughter, Susie, obviously. Maggie comes along afterwards and just, like, hugs the nearest child to her. And just, like... They're not related or anything. It's just, like, it's just hugs. Not even, like, a comforting hug. It's like, oh, my God. I can't... Are you a gay hug? I'm like, you don't know her like that. She then calls the resort to warn them of the danger but is ignored. Two girls on a speedboat. <laughs> again, we get this shit again. They really watched the original. Like, oh, yeah, we definitely need this scene again. Mm-hmm. Two girls on a speedboat take their friend out water skiing and laugh at him because he's a show-off. He ends up on the beach, so he doesn't die this time. No. Um, the girls crash into and fly over a fishing boat before a guy on a jet ski ends up landing on top of the speedboat, causing it to explode. <laughs> and the girls, when they jump off just in time... They couldn't give a shit. Like, oh, shit, should we just jump off? Yeah. <laughs> so weird, these yeah. sort of accidents <laughs> happening not because of the piranhas. It's like, what? Explosions. Why is in the film. I, I don't think anyone who's ever made a piranha film knows how explosions work. No. A jet ski lands on a boat and it causes it to explode. There is a scene in one of the upcoming films that we're going to talk about where a helicopter literally touches water and it fucking explodes. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, guys. 
This this shit doesn't happen in real life. She, um, Maggie and Paul. <laughs> That's the part you decide to tell everyone it, is, it doesn't occur in real life. Well, I mean. <laughs> Not the killer piranhas in the river. No, I mean, that's part of the film for ridiculous purposes, but. <laughs> the, yeah. Maggie and Paul drive to the resort themselves, but arrive too late. The school of piranha have killed most of the swimmers. Randolph now uh, sees and realizes his mistake. Maggie and Paul take a speedboat to the latter's old workplace. Can I just say, sorry, when they get to the resort, um, everyone, and it's something that's happened in the first one and this one, um, people are running around aimlessly. (laughs) So extras are running around screaming on land, like really (laughs) far away from the water. And it drives me absolutely insane. And it's... The only time I've ever seen not in, like, a proper comedy film... Because this isn't a comedy, I don't think. I don't think it's trying to be a comedy, no. Um, the only time I've ever seen this in a non-comedy film or cartoon... There's a girl running in the background who, like, starts flailing her arms in the air. <laughs> like one of those wacky waving inflatable, <laughs> waving arm tube men or whatever... I'm like, do people actually do? I only thought olive oil did that in Popeye. Yeah. Uh, but she's like waving her arms in the air and running away. And, and to think the extras in this one probably didn't even get $5 or a lunchbox. They don't deserve them. I just, I really don't understand how aimlessly running in loads of different directions. So you're not, they're not running away from the water. No. They're just running. And then some of the extras you can tell, like, ran a bit too fast and they kind of have to like stall and then run in another direction <laughs> and like oh shit I wasn't meant to be at this mark so early and like one of them almost knocks into them and it's like oh my god sorry a, bit, a little bugbear of mine if if the threat is in the water don't be running around aimlessly on land I think that's probably why they made the piranhas fly in the sequel exactly it's... just for me thank you <laughs> Um, Maggie and Paul take a speedboat uh, to uh, to Randolph's uh, workplace, no, to Paul's workplace, sorry, uh, to open the valve containing toxins and spread them into the lake in attempts to kill the piranha again. Upon arrival... <laughs> the b- wildlife there <laughs> yeah. as well. Upon arrival, the control room is flooded <gasps> and Paul must swim under it to uh, release... Uh, the valve, whilst Maggie stays in the boat, counted to 200 this time. 200. With absolutely no energy in her performance no. whatsoever. She's like, 200, 199, 188. And literally she looks like she's going to fall asleep. Um, yeah, William Cat, proper action hero. Yeah. He can stay in doubt for 200 seconds. 200. What a ledge. The piranha attacks Paul, um, but he successfully releases the valve, spreading the toxins. Maggie starts the boat's engines, pulling Paul away from the piranha school. Uh, As Maggie pulls out the rope, she discovers that it was cut loose, making her think that Paul did not make it. A badly wounded but very alive Paul surfaces from the water, to which she screams, Paul! (laughs) The most energy she's given in the entire film. J.R. Randolph then commits suicide. <laughs> this is weird. I, this was such a <laughs> random... In- like, if it didn't seem for scene, Dick Miller did not kill himself at the end of the no. first film. Um, but he does this after Mila Kunis gives him a filthy look 
um, and he discovers that he'll be facing legal action. I mean, don't take it personally. She just can't act. <laughs> he just killed himself. He does. And he's played by uh, Blanche's gay brother from The Golden Girls, which I appreciated. Susie's reunited with her dad, who is <laughs> wrapped up on a stretcher and constantly shaking. Yes. Hi, Susie. William Cat's trying his best. Bless him. She's not bothered at all, and neither is Maggie. Like, oh, whatever. <laughs> After the horrific incident, the mayor of Lost River announcing that the uh, piranhas somehow are all dead. Uh, well, announces that they're all dead. But then at the ocean, the trilling sound of the piranha are heard. And it turns out that half of the piranha survived and made their way to the ocean. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And that's uh, Piranhas um, with an S. Yeah, basically shot for shot. And uh, <laughs> with a few added things that made no sense. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like all you people out there who said Piranha's bad. <laughs> Wait until you see this. Yeah. This is what it would look like if it was a bad film. Yeah. Well, this is essentially what it would have been like if it... Hadn't tried the comedy yeah. stuff. It's it's a trash the piece. They they thought they were doing something. That they I weren't. find it weird <laughs> that it's a TV movie. Um, just in the sense of I couldn't imagine something like this being made for ITV or like Sky or no. Could you imagine anything in the UK where? They made this sort of thing for a, a TV. It's movie. true. It's true. And they normally kind of they normally try and cut back with uh, gore and such for TV movies. But yeah. This one didn't. But yeah, Piranhas nineteen ninety five available on YouTube in full if anyone's interested. <laughs> I don't think anyone's making money of this nowadays anyway. I don't think so. And that brings us to twenty ten Piranha three D three D. Should I start? Yes. Fisherman Matt Boyd. Played by Richard Dreyfus, singing uh, the song from Jaws. <laughs> yes. Is fishing in Lake Victoria when a small earthquake hits, splitting the lake floor and causing a whirlpool. Boyd falls in and is ripped apart by a school of piranhas that emerge from the chasm. Terrible looking CGI piranhas. Yeah. Yeah. The CGI hasn't aged particularly well, no. has it? Uh, lots of garden chairs for some reason <laughs> at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. Uh, Richard Dreyfus again for some reason is top bill cast, uh, <laughs> but that's him done for the film. Yeah, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. As spring break begins, Jake Forrester reunites with his old crush Kelly and meets her arrogant boyfriend Todd Dupree. Yeah, I have a few notes before this point. First of all, we get a hand jump scare from Matt Boyd, and definitely wasn't Richard Dreyfuss's hand. Okay. <laughs> get You Home, with the letter U, by Schwazy plays, as we get the opening credits, including Harvey Weinstein, executive producer, whilst we see a bunch of girls in bikinis. Yeah. Julie... So now that hasn't aged very well. No. Slay Queen Julie... Um, threatens, threatens obnoxious teens with a taser. Have it. Yeah, Todd, apparently a really good DJ, uh, Kelly's current boyfriend, his friend throws a drink at Jake's cool Pixies t-shirt. Jake's sister compliments Kelly Brook uh, on her boobs. Yes. And yeah. uh, Kelly Brook tells Jake that she's a wild, wild girl. Yeah, so as spring break begins, Jake Forrester reunites with his old crush Kelly and meets her arrogant boyfriend Todd Dupree. 
Jake meets Derek Jones, a sleazy pornographer, as well as Danny, one of his actresses, played by Kelly Brook. Yeah. Derek convinces Jake to show him good spots on the lake for filming a pornographic movie. Yeah, so the credit song uh, features lyrics about touching it, grabbing it, and having sex on the first date. Yes. Uh, we get three mooning extras with Kiss My Ass written on their butt cheeks. <laughs> Uh, because this is a 3D film, when Todd's friend throws a drink at Jake, uh, it's directly <laughs> at the camera. Oh! Uh, and yes, Jake's younger sister, Laura, um, for the first of many times in the film, is a bit obsessed with boobs. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I kill boobies. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Danny likes... Uh, Jake's Pixies t-shirt. She, she loves the Pixies. She loves the Pixies. She's never listened to one Pixies song. A, she's a cool girl. <laughs> she's cool. Uh, Jake is forced to be on babysitting duty for his mother. She, uh, as aforementioned, Sheriff Julie Forrester. Mm-hmm. Uh, she keeps interrupting him whilst he's watching videos on Derek's Girls Gone Wild style website. Yes, in his bedroom, filled with cool posters like Ramones, Radiohead, Nirvana and Joy Division. Oh, and Lou Reed. And Lou Reed. Yeah, he loves his uh, alternative <laughs> rock music. <laughs> uh, Sheriff Forrester searches for the missing Matt Boyd with Deputy Fallon, played by Ving Rhames. They find his mutilated body and contemplate closing the lake. However, this decision is made difficult with thousands of partying college students on spring break, which is important for bringing revenue to the small town. Um, of all the films that we have covered for the summer... Screams. Screams. For the summer screams, this is the sunniest. <laughs> this is the one I actually believe was filmed... In summer. Yeah, the first uh, Piranha and 1995 are a bit cloudy, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Also, I've just realised this is spring break. Yeah. The summer screams. <laughs> oh, fuck it. This is the most... This I don't even give a shit. This is, this this is, is the most, most summer, summer horror film yeah. that I've ever seen. It is. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sheriff Foster falls in the water and the body's revealed like the skeleton in Poltergeist. Yes. Did you get that one? I did. Yes. Uh, the next morning, alone. <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> the next morning, a lone cliff diver is attacked and consumed by the vicious piranhas. He literally he does a cool cliff dive. He's like woohoo! Yeah. There's no one around. No one around. But he's looking. He's like he's looking at the camera. He's like trying to show off. But for who? Yeah, it's, it's such a pointless scene. Uh, uh, Jake bribes his siblings to stay home alone as he goes out partying slash um, scouting locations, locations for the He doesn't film. scout one location this entire Well, I suppose film. he does, um, but the only location. <laughs> um, Laura is still obsessed with boobies, and you're going to go partying, and you're going to see boobies. You're going partying yeah. for boobies, 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 boobies. Jake runs into Kelly, who accepted Derek's invitation on board his boat and meets Derek's other actress, Crystal, and his cameraman, Andrew. Uh, Crystal and Danny go for a nude swim to opera music. Well, before that... What's before, I don't know if what's you've before got before it in your that? notes. What's before that? Um, motorboat, motorboat, motorboat. I say tit, you say ease. Tit, ease, tit, ease. 
When was this? Uh, when he was going up to the boat and Kelly was there. And those were just some of my favourite lines of dialogue. Oh, very good. From who? Derek? Uh, from Andrew. Oh, from Andrew. Excuse me. I very... I mean, just reading his name, I was like, what's... Uh, cameraman Andrew? Which one was that? That was the one with the um, sun cream on his yes. face. Yes, yeah. Um, but yes, in an iconic scene, Crystal and Danny go for a nude swim. Yeah. To opera music. The... Uh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Yeah. And Derek says, check it out. It's like fish with boobies. Yeah. If fish look like that, I would fuck fish. Now, this is, I mean, knowing, <laughs> knowing that the two actresses did this for real. Yeah. Um, is very impressive. It is. Because in the first film, he was underwater for a hundred seconds. <laughs> in the second film, William Cat was underwater for 200 seconds. <laughs> These girls are in there for like five minutes. <laughs> it's true. It's incredible. They film an entire porno. And <laughs> it is essentially... So essentially what it is, is they're filming from um, a glass bottom boat. And the girls are doing their swim and um, they're naked and they're... Apart from flippers, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, they're kissing and touching each other, each other mm. and such. Um yeah, I mean, it's not for me, but... Beautifully shot, you know. Beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. <laughs> uh, Jake's siblings take a canoe to go fishing on a small sandbar island and become stranded in the middle of the lake due to Zane neglecting to properly secure the canoe. They're fucking so annoying. Laura's like, so oh, I didn't bring my trombone. And Zane's like, go sunbathe like a girl or something. <laughs> and then he's, And then she's like, well, when I become a rock star... I won't let you become one of my groupies. What the fuck? That's your brother, you fucking freak. I get the feeling also that they can't swim. Really? What keeps you that idea? Because they don't... The boat isn't actually that far away. Uh, they could have just swam out yeah, to it. Basically. It's as if they know there were piranhas in the water. Uh-huh. Um, Laura does do, and I hate this in films... Um, not not like hate it as in bad films, but um, it makes me cringe. She steps on some glass. Yes. In the lake, and I hate that. I hate the idea of like stuff sticking in feet or like, cutting feet. Or, yeah. Um. Just it, obviously a quiet place is the big one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Julie takes a team of seismologist divers, Novak, Sam, and Paula to the fissure. Novak speculates that the rift leads to a buried prehistoric lake. Paula and Sam scuba dive to the bottom and discover a big cavern filled with large piranha egg stocks. Both are killed by the piranhas before they can alert the others. Novak and Julie find Paula's corpse and pull it onto the boat, capturing a lone piranha. I'm so glad that fucking Paul died. He was, uh, not Paul, Sam. No, Sam. Sam is such a fucking twat. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's like, oh I'll claim dibs on any missing college girls in the lake. Mm. I'm an electric eel. I can fit in tight spaces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the CGI is a bit iffy as well. Isn't yeah. It? When uh, there's a scene where it's, it's, he switches torch on uh-huh. or something and then there's like dozens of piranha waiting yeah. for him um i'm sure in 2010 that was impressive particularly in 3d but not so much in 2021 <laughs> kelly participates in tequila body shots and as a snog with crystal Ooh. yeah and uh she's told it's not cheating if it's with another chick 
Danny convinces Jake to have a go uh, with Kelly as the um, body for the body shots. Uh, but Kelly 3D vomits before yes. they kiss. Yeah, vomit over the side of the boat directly at the... Uh... Weird looking vomit as well. It was. It was very like... Udon noodles. alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they take the piranha to Carl Goodman, played by Christopher Lloyd, who was in this and the sequel. He was. Piranha 3DD. Yes. Um, I'm assuming he owed some money to the Mafia. Um, He's in so much random shit. He really is. Christopher Lloyd. But kind of playing the same character. Yeah, it's Christopher Lloyd. (laughs) So in Piranha, he's a retired marine biologist. And he explains that there's a highly aggressive prehistoric species known as Pygocentrus Natarai, or the original Piranha, long believed to have been extinct for over two million years. And uh, he says that the piranhas have survived through cannibalism. The species is able to vigorously devour its prey in seconds. Um, I got here. Christopher Lloyd puts more effort than the in than the film really deserves. <laughs> uh, Julie Novak Fallon and Deputy Taylor Roberts try to evacuate the lake, but their warnings are ignored until the piranhas begin Oof. to attack the tourists. Turning the party into a bloodbath. Got a lot of notes before this. A lot of notes. Well, around this. So, a topless paraglider um, sticks her boobs into the water for 3D effect um, before she has her legs bit off by piranhas. It looked quite painful. Like, because she's being dragged along with her boobs in the water. Um, It did look quite painful, to be fair. And then Eli Roth shows up as an obnoxious wet t-shirt host. Yeah. And uh, I made Gary write down everything he says. Would you care to uh, reel them off for us? Yeah. Um, a bit of context that anyone who's not familiar with Eli Roth. Uh, he is a I guy... I was say wet t-shirt <laughs> Wow. That's self-explanatory. Uh, Eli Roth is a director... That likes to use homophobic slurs in his DVD commentaries. It likes to get his character saying it in his films too. Uh, and also said in an interview that he loves being a director because he basically gets to get women to take their tops off for him. Yeah. He's an absolute sleazeball and I cannot stand him at all. And he is basically playing himself in this film. Essentially, you know. Um, before I'm going to the... Uh, the list of things that he refers to um, when talking about breasts. He also he tells a black girl to shake it like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. But Which he, makes no sense. It, also, it makes absolutely no, no sense. sense. Neither does any of this. So no. he has all of the following terms for titties. Because that's the first one. We'll go with that. Titties. The hills. Weapons of masturbation. Jugs, coconuts, God's milk jugs, the girls, summer tomatoes, tartars, Danny DeVito's, Danny DeVito's, cutie Klondikes, fun bags, Brad Pitt's, and finally, Bonnie and Clyde's. But he says this in the style of a DJ. So, Here we go, guys, I've got titties, I've got Danny DeVito's, <laughs> some Brad Pitt's, Bonnie and Clyde's. And it's fucking it's just one of the worst scenes in cinematic history. 
I fucking hate it so much. This is the scene where I felt the parody, it was parodying itself. Um, because the scene goes on for so yeah. long. And we get close-ups of boobs each time he gives one of these new terms. And they're so close to the camera that it's almost done for the 3D effect. And it's fucking ridiculous. It's because we've got Jerry O'Connell playing a similar character. Yeah. This just feels like it's stretched the joke out too far. And it, it was, it was I, genuinely, and I don't hate the film, um, but I fucking hated this scene. Yeah, and it, and it's even worse that they got Eli Roth to do of this course, scene. Of course, of um, course. His history with women in his film isn't great. Um, and the way he's spoken about women isn't great. No. Um, so it makes it way, well... I say way more uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable to begin with. Yeah. Um, but it adds an extra dimension to it, the uncomfortableness. It does. it does. Yeah. Still directing films, though, you know. Yes. Come on, Hollywood. Um, yeah, so you, as you were saying, Julie Novak Fallon, um, Fallon says to some uh, god-botherers on a boat, don't talk about Satan, just take your boat back. Yeah. No more talk about Satan, please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's two people there. Like, you're all going to hell. You're all sinning. Um, yeah, but it all goes to pot, doesn't it? Yeah. Everybody starts getting eaten by the piranhas. They also have notes down for everything that happens, too. Oh, my um, Lord. In scene. Um, uh, first, I had fully rooting for the piranhas to get rid of the obnoxious teenagers. Uh-huh. Uh, two people get their skin completely ripped off. Two girls are sliced in half by a wire from the DJ stage... Causing their bikini tops to fall off there and make their top halves fall into the water with the boobs out. There we are. Eli Roth calls someone a fucking whore before a boat crashes into his head and splits it in half. Yes. Julie starts tasering piranhas. Have it. Todd tries escaping with a speedboat, running people over in the process, and catches some girl's hair in the engine, scalping her when he switches it back on. People flip the boat over and he gets eaten. Yes. Most of the death in that scene was not caused by piranhas. No. It's a great scene. It is a really good scene with some some of the best practical effects from modern day horror. Well, that's the thing. In all, I mean, all Jaws parodies, um, but particularly with piranha, uh, piranha films, um, there's that one moment where it all goes to pop. Yeah. Uh, and this is probably the best one. Yeah. Um, because everybody deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eli Roth gets the... Best death of the film, easily. Like, his head is straight in half. Yes. And he's still got a And deserved as well, because he just called a woman a whore. Yeah. Right before. Um, meanwhile, while all this is going on, Jake spots Laura and Zane on the island and forces Derek to rescue them. Derek crashes the boat, flooding the lower deck and causing the boat to begin sinking. Yes, Derek, who is now doing coke in Speedos. Yes. <laughs> Kelly is trapped in the kitchen while Derek, Crystal and Andrew fall overboard. Um, Andrew escapes to shore alive. Crystal is eaten and Danny manages to get a partially eaten Derek back on board where he eventually dies. Yeah, Crystal vomits a piranha. She does. (laughs) And (laughs) in a bizarre series of events, the piranhas... And I can forgive the CGI for this thing, because this is fucking incredible. They fight over who's going to eat Jerry O'Connell's dick. 
Yes. And the winner throws it back up in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> I shit you not. And uh, Derek's on board shouting, <laughs> they took my penis. They took my penis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a fun scene. And again, I, I, I don't, you know, Christopher Lloyd's given it his all. Jerry O'Connell puts in a good performance the, yeah. as well. I think he really wanted to piss off the, uh, Girls Gone Wild I guy. I think so. Like, he, because he really puts everything he into his He goes over, and it doesn't come across hammy. No. Either, or, or too ridiculous. No. Um, he is probably the funniest person in the film. Uh, Deputy Fallon makes a last stand, taking a boat motor and using its propeller to shred as many piranhas as he can. In 3D. <laughs> yeah. Um, I put here, uh, unlike the first two, extras actually seem to be swimming around aimlessly <laughs> rather than running around aimlessly, uh, which is a nice little touch. Uh, but they are, like, swimming around. It's like, seriously, why is this taking so long to evacuate the lake? Yeah. No one was that deep into the lake. They were no. all by the beach. Just get the fuck out. <laughs> Julian Novak reach Jake on a speedboat and attach a rope to the, to the boat. Julie, Danny, Laura and Zane start crossing the rope, but the piranhas latch onto Danny's hair, causing her to fall and be devoured. Uh, the... Uh, <laughs> she says, um, doesn't she, when they say, oh, will you be okay on uh, getting across here? And she's, uh, she's, uh, um, she said, well, I don't do pole dancing for nothing, you know. <laughs> well, apparently she needs to continue those lessons because she ends up falling in. Uh, the others make it across safely, but the rope comes loose. Jake ties the line to himself and goes to save Kelly. He ties her to him and lights a flare after releasing the gas from stored propane tanks. Novak speeds the boat away just as the piranhas surround Kelly and Jake. They are dragged to safety as the propane tanks explode, killing most of the piranhas. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's the scene that's in all three. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Four. I, all four. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Um, I've got here, yes, action hero Elizabeth Shue. Yes. And uh, uh, in a funny little twist, uh, Jake uses Derek as bait to yeah. distract the piranhas. But Derek comes back to but, life first. But Derek <laughs> comes back to life briefly to uh, utter his immortal final words, wet t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everyone's saved, the piranhas are blown up, and Mr. Goodman gives uh, Julie a call. Um they t- <laughs> uh he tells her that they seem oh she tells him that they seem to have killed the majority of the piranhas goodman tells her that the reproductive glands on the piranha they obtained were not mature which means the fish they have killed were only the babies as novak um I'm sure we all forgot he was in the film. <laughs> Wonders aloud where the mature ones are. A human-sized piranha leaps out the water and eats him. Yeah, but I mean, before that, you're just talking shit anyway. It's just like standing around like, oh, yeah, how about those piranhas, eh? I can't oh. believe that happened. Oh, you did really well there, guys. Oh, I'm really <laughs> pleased to see it. <laughs> okay, Adam Scott. <laughs> He's played by Adam Scott, by the way, who's kind of wasted in this film because well, well, he didn't do anything. I mean, I've got him down for the character comparison because he's the closest thing to Paul Grogan in the film. I suppose so. 
Um, but anyway, we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, Piranha 3D. I, I do really enjoy this one. I think it's a good remake. Um, it's got everything a horror fan could want. You know, if you want your nudity, it's there. If you want your kills, they're there in full force. Uh, the 3D's great. Uh, it's Alexandra higher in charge, so it looks great. Um, soundtrack's a bit shit, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, yeah, Jerry O'Connell's hilarious in it. Elizabeth Shue's good. It's, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, it's got its tongue firmly in its cheek. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of positives to it yeah. as well. It's almost a parody rather than a remake. Yeah. To a certain extent. Which is weird because it becomes a parody of a parody that seems to be parodying its Yeah. Um, but it's a fun time. You know, it's... You don't really have to pay that much attention. No, it's mindless uh, fun. Yeah, mindless fun. But it's obviously got a lot of faults as well, you know. Uh, it, it is sleazy. And it takes it so far that it um, it sort of gets a little much. Yeah, it really does. So getting into the comparison rounds, cinematography, scares, kills, piranhas, soundtracks. 1978. Uh, I have got that it's a really well shot film. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's uh, intense. I feel like that was a high budget for Roger Corman. I think so, yeah. Although yeah. it's low budget, I think for Roger Corman that was a fairly high budget. But the Joe Dante effect shines through. Mm. You know, it, yeah. his films always look really great. Mm -hmm. um, it's intense at times, despite being a comedy, as funny as a comedy. Um, Alright, kills. Uh, the piranha look cheesy in the best way possible and the score is fantastic. I, it, it's definitely, I really like the score. It's a play on Jaws. Yeah. It is definitely a play on Jaws but yeah. it manages to be a really good score at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really dramatic, and mm -hmm. that just adds to the melodrama of it all with everything else that's going on. Yeah. And I... Uh, the, the scares weren't really there. The kills weren't really there either. Uh, like I said, it really just amounted to people um struggling in red water to be fair yeah and then you kind of got um the rubber piranhas being poked at people under the water and again more red water so it wasn't really um that exciting in the kills department but everything else yeah decent 1995 looks like shit it does um i don't think it helps that our dvd was a bit. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's not even slightly intense. No. <laughs> um, the kills are better than the original. Yeah. I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, it's gorier. The practical effects are great for what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to comment on the piranha because they're the exact same, exact same. as the original. Um, soundtrack, we get a piranha fucking metal theme song. We do, actually. Like, piranha! Piranha. Killer piranha. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like piranha, killer piranha. <laughs> Sadly, not on Spotify. No. <laughs> I, I I appreciated that song. Um, twenty ten looks like an Alexander Ayer film. Uh, it is a compliment. It's got a great style. Um, so there's some great cinematography. Some of the most intense scenes out of the three. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because um, 
we had some likable characters in danger. Yeah. Like actual danger. I don't think that really happened in the first two, apart from uh, the part where they were under the water. Whereas in this one, um, there's a few characters that we like. And there's more characters to root for as well. So them being in danger makes it a bit more tense. Yeah, it it definitely has the best death scenes as well out of the three. Yeah, massive. There's... There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that it's got the best because it's actually got kills. Yeah, <laughs> really. And although the CGI is rough mm. um, for the piranha, the piranhas don't look great at all. No, it's been um, eleven years though, isn't it? Yeah, it even three D too. Even though that's not great, the practical effects are incredible. Uh huh. Um, the soundtrack is just shitty generic dance songs yeah, that sound like everything else from the late two thousands. Not memorable. Um, there's a score in there somewhere as well, but it didn't really stand out. So, I mean, cinematography is tough between that or 1978. I suppose... Uh, I don't know, I think 1978 has got a certain charm to its cinematography and the way it's shot and how Joe Dante is trying to film it like a proper film despite it being a comedy. Yeah, and... it's difficult because there's such a time difference between yeah. them. Um, I would probably give it to 2010. Yeah. Because it... I think it just looked cleaner. Yeah. Um, of course, scares, kills, absolutely go to 2010. Uh-huh. Piranha, um, I'm going to give it a tie, 1978, 1995. Um, yeah. I mean, the same yeah. I actually do think the, the rubber ones um, worked better than the CGI Yeah, ones. I'd much rather see that than the CGI. Yeah. Um, and then soundtrack, of course, goes to 1978. Yes. Although the Piranha Metal theme song gave it a good go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, uh, two all to yeah, each. I think. Yeah. Something like that. Um, characters, we have Maggie. Uh, who is played by Heather Menzies Urich in nineteen seventy eight, Alexandra Paul in nineteen ninety five, and the characters changed to Julie Forster in twenty ten and played by Elizabeth Shue. Um. So I liked Maggie in the original. Yeah. She, she was likable. Yeah. She was resourceful. Resourceful. Um. She was a nosy bitch. Um. Mm-hmm. She definitely wanted all the tea. Um, but funny, funny, you know, um, willing to get her boobs out to save the day. Yeah. You know, take, take it into consideration whether someone's gay or not before, uh, knocking them out. (laughs) Knocking him out or knocking them out. (laughs) Knocking him out. Well, both. Um, yeah, she's an absolute slay queen. She's she's a bit ditzy, a bit clumsy at times, but that's what makes her uh, relatable and likable. Alexandra Paul um, constantly shakes whilst driving for some reason. She does. Wears an awful outfit for her entire outfit film. Outfit is disgraceful. She does use a fish tank as a weapon, and she also uses the plot of Big Bus from Cell Block Seven to escape from prison. Yeah. But other than that, she also she can't be asked more and more as the film goes on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Elizabeth Shue gets shit done. Um, she really does. Just a melodramatic action hero, Slay Queen Vitesa. Yeah, yeah, she is kick ass. She's there, she's killing the p- 
piranha. She's, uh, you know, going, saving people, swimming and yeah. shit. Yeah. But I still want to give it to 1978 because okay. I think there's just a certain, there's a charm there. Like Elizabeth Shue, we only get to see her every now and then. Yeah, she um, isn't as in the film as much. No, as and she is. does make up for it when she is in the film. But yeah. I find with Heather Menzies Yurik, she is completely in on the joke. Her first scene is her playing the Jaws arcade game. Yeah. She, you know, her clumsy side is just charming. She's melodramatic. She's camp. She's everything. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I would. Yeah, I agree. But Elizabeth Shue is a close second. Yes. Alexandra Paul, you might as well not been there. <laughs> Paul Grogan, okay. 1978, Bradford Dillman, 1995, William Catt, and then, of course, the closest comparison is Novak in 2010, played by Adam Scott. Yeah. Um, I mean... <laughs> Meh. Well, it's, it's easily 1978. He's an alcoholic, yes. He shares good chemistry with Maggie, um, grumpy but in a funny way, whereas 1995, he never wants us to forget that he has an ex-wife. He's a writer instead of an alcoholic, uh, and he's just aggressive and miserable. <laughs> but he can hold his breath for 200 seconds. Well, that's very nice. That's but 100 seconds it doesn't, more. It doesn't give him a pers- personality, does it? No, I suppose not. Adam Scott goes all actionary on a jet ski. He does, actually, doesn't he? Um, but yeah. But then just that, talks around. Yeah. Just, just stands around talking shit. Other than that, he just chats shit. Um, so this is an easy one. It's a boring character. It's 1978. Well done, Bradford yeah. Dillman. We, we struggle with male characters on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the Exposition Doctor is my final one. Um, we have an alternative round coming up, though. Uh, the Exposition Doctor. Dr. Robert Hoke in 1978, played by Kevin McCarthy. Dr. Letitia Baines in 1995, played by Darlene Carr. Oh, sorry, I thought it was Francis And Mr. Carl Goodman, who was a biologist, so it counts, um, played by Christopher Lloyd in 2010. Kevin McCarthy's a great parody of what you'd expect from this type of character. Um, I'm struggling to remember. Doesn't do a lot. No. Darlene Carr just... Gives everything she's got. Ooh, her crazy eyes and over-the-top camp acting. <laughs> um, but Christopher Lloyd's Christopher Lloyd. It has to be. He, I wanted to see more of him in the film. Um, he's and, playing to type. You know, he, yeah, he's just he's Christopher Lloyd. You can't help but like him. He's putting all his effort into it. <laughs> and it yeah. works. He must have been paid a great amount of money for that. <laughs> Is he, like, second build in the cast? He must be. So well then, Christopher Lloyd, you're the winner. But before we get to our overall result, here's a bonus round. A bonus quickfire round, ranking the ten most annoying characters from Piranha... Well, it's ranking characters from Piranha 3D, from annoying to likeable. Yes. So number one, of course, is Eli Roth's wet t-shirt host. Can. Number two, Jake Siblings. <laughs> Shits. Number three, Jake. Knob. And I hate to put him here because I, I do love Jerry O'Connell in this role, but as a character, Derek Jones. Sleazebag. Number five, Sam the Scuba Diver. Who? Who is that man? Oh, I'm an eel. I could fit into tight spaces. Oh, God. Um, Sleazebag. <laughs> Six, Todd. <laughs> Todd. 
Todd. Todd the boyfriend. Get out of the way. Get out oh, of the way. Oh, God. Uh, prick. Seven. <laughs> Andrew with his sun cream. Oh, God. Bellend. Number eight. Danny and Crystal. We're getting to the more likeable characters now. Oh, no, I like Danny and Crystal. Number nine. She's a real cool chick because she likes the pixies. <laughs> yes. Number nine. Kelly. Kelly? She's just, oh, she's all right. She's all right. She's all right. She's okay. And number 10, poor Deputy Fallon. Queen. Queen. Elizabeth Shoe. No, it's Finn Graham, she fucking idiot. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, we've already discussed Elizabeth Shoe. Oh, she nearly sh- won. No, it's a fucking long episode. <laughs> These fucking films. So there's our quick fire round. Thing, yeah, I love Finn Graham's. I, um, I also appreciated the fact that... Um, he quite clearly dies in this film, but he's in the cast for the sequel. Yeah. So I won't spoil how. Um, get his, uh, get his uh, payday. We'll have to complete the series. It'll have to be in a future episode. So the winner overall is Piranha 1978. Yes. Piranha 3D gave it a good go. It's, it was a close call. Um, I mean, my rating of Letterboxd is only half a star between them. I think it's the same with yours as well, actually. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean... Watch Piranha 1978. It was a lot of fun. Watch Piranha 3D. You know, it's still fun. Also watch Piranha 1995, just so you could see what it would look like in a parallel universe if 1978 was a really shit film. Yeah, if this sounds like your kind of film, watch them. But if it doesn't, don't do it, because you're wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, next month... <laughs> Is that not how just films work? Well, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. And next month's original versus remake, we will be discussing I saw what you did. Did you? Starring Camp Royalty. Yes. Joan Collins. Joan Collins. Oh man, fucking yeah. Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Seen if you're listening to me. I don't know who stars in the remake. Uh Shawnee Smith. Oh. Oh dear. Oh no. Sorry, him. Previous star of the podcast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, now it's best and worst of the month time. Yes. Would you like to start? Yes. Mine is a tie. First of all, it's Mad God, but we're not going to talk about that because we have a bonus section. You have a bonus round for original versus remake and a bonus section of the episode. Ooh. Lucky people. Uh, we'll be discussing it in that section, but it's a tie with Sensor. Oh, okay. Censor is a phenomenal female-directed horror film based in the Video Nasties era, and it's fucking weird, it's intense, it's creepy, it is well-made, it is everything. Go and watch it, support this film, it is amazing, I love it so much. Yeah, incredibly well-made, um... The subject matter is very interesting. Yeah. As a fan of the video nasties, uh, moments of in-jokes weren't complete parodies, which no. I appreciated. Uh, and it still kind of kept to its own story. Um, great central performance. And, yeah, just a, a real fun film to watch. Absolutely. A good a good horror film. Just, just what a horror film should. What is your Favourite of the month? That's... Uh, well, Mad God okay. would be my favourite of the month for new films. Oh, we've got our on-board mentions coming up. Yes. Just you wait. Okay. Worst of the month, I'm sure we could both agree, is fucking Free Guy. Uh, 
yes. <laughs> Fuck this film. And, and the weird attention uh, it's getting. I really... I don't get it. If you like it, that's fine. I'm glad you had a better time than I did. But I found this generic, bland bullshit and it was painful to sit through. I fucking yeah. hate it so much. I will always say, and I say it, and I'll say it every podcast episode. I'll say it every day until the day I die. I can forgive a lot of things, but being boring, I cannot forgive. And Free Guy was boring. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is such a charismatic actor. Yeah. You know, he's got the ability there to be funny. We all, we've all seen Deadpool. He just wasn't funny. I felt like every aspect of that film had been done better yeah. in previous films. But they're going around saying it's an original film. It's so far from an original thing. film. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And Taika Waititi shows up talking like an old man thinking he knows how kids speak. It's just fucking... Which I'm, which is meant to be the joke, but it's just not funny. No. What he says is not funny no. and his acting is not good. So it's cringe. Yeah. Honourable mentions. I've got Daimajin, Sister Street Fighter, Rollerball, Tampopo, and Spirited Away. We have been watching a lot of great films we've been so watching some fantastic films i completely particularly agree. asian c- cinema yes um tampopo and spirited away are now two of my favorite films yeah um absolute masterpieces i loved both of them yeah um i would i would put both within my top 50 films of all time um so it's been a great month yes and that brings us to our bonus section. Ooh. Have we got any cool sound effects for the bonus section? Um, Probably not. Cheering. Yeah, I don't know if that worked. I pressed it. Um, imagine that there was some cheering. <laughs> no. Oh, God. <laughs> it usually does. It probably just didn't work. Anyway, as I was saying, bonus section. We were lucky enough and... It always feels like a massive achievement for us every time it happens with any festival. We were given a press pass for Edinburgh International Film Festival. We were. Um, we haven't done a separate episode, so we didn't watch as much as we normally would with London Film Festival. I think this is only one for like a, a week or so. Yeah. Um, but here are our highlights. Yeah, I would like to just discuss the highlights, not the lowlights. Is that what we're doing? I do have the one... We only watched one bad film, really. I'm yeah, gonna say it now. That's Man- true. Mandibles is the only one we didn't enjoy. Yeah, There's not a lot to say about it. We just didn't think it was very good. No. But, pick. The latest film starring Nicolas Cage, with a plot, <laughs> a plot like uh, a, a man has his pig stole from him and he goes out to f- recover it. Sounds ridiculous. It does. Um, it was literally the premise before going. I. I watched the film um the premise was nicholas cage has his pig stolen he goes to find it i was like this is gonna be john wick awful it's gonna be john wick with a pig yeah john wick with a pig it sounds ridiculous um nicholas cage you know an all-time low for nicholas cage um, <laughs> wow i don't know about <laughs> that it was I mean... It, it would have been entertaining, at least. Well, he goes to... I don't know. It's just weird. And I, I thought it was, like, set in, like, the 16th century or something as well. Um, but it turns out he's just a bit trampy in the modern times. Um, 
Uh, what a fantastic amazing. film. It is what amazing. What a really fantastic film. Nicolas Cage clearly is capable of some great performance. And yeah. we've seen that in the past. Um, I think people forget that he's put in some great performances. He won Best Actor Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. Yes. Yeah. Um, he just hasn't had the right material. No, I don't he, think. he's got a reputation for going over the top of this whole Rage Cage thing. And, you know, it's funny every now and then. But I'd much rather see him do something like this yeah. because this was amazing. And you know what? So was Alex Wolf. He absolutely redeemed himself from fucking old that yeah. we watched just the other month. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But I do think this is absolutely Nicolas Cage's yeah, it's film. film. And it's a film where he hasn't actually got much to say. No. Um, it's a very it's quite a slow-paced film and he hasn't got very much to do, really. No. Um, but he's, he's kind of ca- capable of emoting so well with his face. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew compared to what you saw, you, we've seen recently with Nicolas yeah. Cage where he, you know, the eyes are popping. Mm. Um, none of that in this really just well done. Yeah. Well done. If you listen in Nicolas Cage and I think you do <laughs> listen on the odd occasion. Well done. Yeah. The least said about it, the better. Like, just know that this is a beautifully made, beautifully written, beautifully acted yeah. film that needs to be seen. Yeah. It, it, need, it 100% needs to be it's, seen. It doesn't rely on, you know, being shocking or anything like no. that. It's just a, um, a tale of loss. Yes. Beautifully told. Next up in our highlights is The Justice of Bunny King. Yeah. Um. So... The Justice of Bunny King is uh, a film about a woman who had her kids taken off her and she basically spends the film trying to spend time with them uh, and so on. It's, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's, it's, a, it's a story you've, you know, it's been told before, but as basic as the premise is, it's Essie Davis who absolutely steals the show here. She was the mother in the Babadook, mm. and she is phenomenal in this. She she is the best thing about this film. She is, a, a, yeah, a really great actress, and um, much like Pig, uh, the film is reliant on that central performance. Um, but unlike Pig, the stuff around it, it was a bit generic. Um, but I did feel like Essie Davis's performance... Uh, was a real standout. She brought uh, the character of Bunny a, a real likability. Yeah. And that was integral to the film, that she was likable. And uh, Essie Davis did, did a really good job of that. Yeah, she she makes so many scenes in this film heartbreaking. Her, her performance is just full of emotions. And it's very much, you know, it's not too dissimilar to a performance in Babadook. You know, that vulnerability is there. Mm. Um, you know, that emotional range is there from that film, um, from the Babadook as well. Yeah, it's, it, it is worth watching purely for, uh, for her performance. Mm-hmm. Next up is Europa. Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed... Explain the plot of Europa. Uh, Europa is, there was not much to the plot. Um, a um, refugee... Uh, manages to evade border control 
yeah. and winds up in the forests in Bulgaria um, where he is trying to make his way through the forest, you know, vast, uh, very, you know, empty forest, uh, but still quite dangerous. And uh, we essentially, the whole film follows him. Yeah. Uh, his name's Kamal. Uh, follows him trying to evade the border police and um, a group of vigilantes mm-hmm. um, who are um, policing the borders themselves illegally and killing the refugees. Yeah. Um, and that's about it, really. And it, it doesn't it doesn't run too long. No. Um, but it, I said it, it's more, and, and I mean this as a compliment, it's more akin to the Blair Witch Project in many senses. It's a very um, intense thriller. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, um, it's not, there's not a huge amount of dialogue... Um, there isn't a massive amount that really goes on, mm. um, but the intensity builds and builds and builds, and it's, it's really well done. Yeah, I mean, it's more intense than a lot of horror films. Mm. It's It does a really great job, and its whole message about the way immigrants are treated, you know, it's still put across clearly Yeah. whilst delivering a fast-paced, edgy seat thriller. Yeah, and now, that, you know, that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, you're, you're humanising a character... Who doesn't have much dialogue? Yeah. Who doesn't do too much, uh, but you really feel for him yeah. by the end, you know, and that's not an easy task. No. Next up, Mad God. I don't even think we can explain the plot of this film. <laughs> no, no. Um, I described it as part post-apocalyptic nightmare, uh, part journey straight to hell. Um, it really is to be seen to be believed. Yeah, so this is our film of the month. Yeah. And it is something. It is something. It's a film that's been in production since the 80s. Um, and it, it comes together with stop-motion animation in this this weird style that it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Mm. Um, I mean, well, I say in production, I know the idea's been circulating since the 80s anyway. Yeah, I, I think Phil you know, Tippett, these things take a long time. Yeah, Phil Tippett directed. Uh, he's obviously done special effects for Robocop. Uh, Star Wars? Star Wars, thank you, that's what I was thinking of. Um, he's a great, you know, Jurassic Park. He is a great special effects artist, and the fact that this film looks like it does is no coincidence, mm. clearly. Uh, but yeah, it, it is... the. Best horror film I've seen so far this year. Yeah. Which I never thought I'd say about an animated film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you don't get it twisted. This is a horror film. Yeah. It is not for everyone. It is a nightmare. It's absolutely It's very nightmare. intense. Yeah. Um, visually. Visually very intense. Yeah. Um, and, and quite grim. <laughs> yeah. You have to see it to believe it. Yeah. You really no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just a real... Um, fascinating piece of work yeah really just and and um to be able to use stop motion and create that is just incredible it is visually incredible next up the gig is up documentary 
Okay, yeah, this this was good. This this was all right. I could see this on Netflix. Yeah, it's an eye opener. And it can be it's an eye opener. It can be a talking point for a couple of weeks. For people. you know these Netflix documentaries come yeah. out and they're like, oh, you know, you got to see this and people talk amongst themselves. I could see it being one of them. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely made me look at gig workers differently. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, gig workers, if you're not familiar, obviously being Uber drivers, Deliveroo, etc., etc. Uh, Amazon, yeah. delivery drivers, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's worth watching just to see, you know, what some of them have to go through. There's, it, it could have been better, but I still got on my highlights because, I mean, it's memorable. I still remember it. Um, yeah. You know, no, it's made me look at a subject differently. It's yeah. educated me on a subject. And that's what every good documentary should do. It's it's brings to light um, what the gig economy is essentially about. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of opens up questions. And I, I do kind of appreciate that it didn't feel the need to answer all of them. Yeah. Um, but it brings them to light. Uh, and I, I think it, it's an interesting watch for people. Absolutely. But the best documentary we watched and our final highlight um, before the shorts is Faceless. Yes. This was the most cinematic, intense, fast-paced, interesting documentary I've, I've seen in a while. Mm. In a while. Um, this was incredible. Yeah. It... It's different, and I find it quite difficult to um, rate documentaries in terms of you know um, when when the subject is so real and it's people's lives at stake. And I do you know what I mean? Yeah. I find it quite difficult. Uh, Faceless is the uh, a documentary on the. Um, 2019 riots in Hong Kong um, and it takes four different rioters yeah. and um, looks at them and their role as um, protesters um, how they sort of came to be protesters what was happening in Hong Kong means to them means to their future um, I really felt for all the uh, protesters, yeah. and particularly the four that the the film focuses on. Um, it it, it was a, a comprehensive look at how all of that came to be. Um, a subject that you know, embarrassingly, I wasn't as well versed as no, I thought I, I was. Wasn't. Um, so for that, it's an important documentary. Yeah, absolutely. And some standout shorts to finish this section off. Have a Nice Dog was great. Are You Still Watching is a super queer short. Yeah, um, I love that. That needs to be seen. Yeah. Souvenir Souvenir uh, was a great documentary where a guy focuses on uh, his grandfather's involvement in the war and how he didn't want to talk about it but the more it's revealed the darker it gets i thought that was really fascinating ghosts was my absolute favorite short 
and the mall. Um, oh, yeah. Lovely, weird um, South Korean, was it? Yeah. Um, short, yeah, that was good, that was. I loved the animation style on that. Yeah. Uh, push this button if you begin to panic. Yeah. Step into the river. Yes, step into the river was very, very good. Uh, my favourite software is being here. Yeah, that was very interesting. That was very interesting. In the last days, um, well, I found that really good. It's um, quite disappointing it hasn't got a letterbox yet because I want to give that a good rating. Mm. That was really good. And so was Precious Hair and Beauty. Yeah, I loved Precious Hair. Precious Hair and Beauty was bizarre. Um, it was, yeah, it was... Simple, but bizarre. Yeah, there was one moment, wasn't there? Yeah. I won't give it away. Uh, but it was a, a great little... Um, British short yeah, film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, check those out if you can. Yes. I don't know when, where, how. No, Pigs at Cinemas. Yes. Pigs at certain, Pigs at certain, certain cinemas, cinemas in the UK. Uh, I believe the rest will probably have VOD releases at some point. Hopefully. Just keep an eye out for them. Yeah, hopefully. Especially Mad God. Um, definitely need to see that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's Edinburgh International Film Festival highlights. We hope to do it again next year. Uh, we had a great time watching all the films. We did, yes. So, we'll be back on Tuesday discussing Piranha 2, the spawning. <laughs> had enough of fucking piranhas. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, no I haven't, actually. Uh, our cinema screening of How Razor is at Chapeltown Picture House on September 30th at 7pm for £7.50 a ticket. Get your tickets from all the links in our bios on our social media that we uh, bleh, 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 mentioned at the start of the episode. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, Gazma205 on Instagram, GazCruz92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, uh, Instagram. Instagram, Letterboxd and Twitter. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a fun, and everything else. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.